Welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and top TV critic, Rihanna Dillon. And now this is the place where we handpick the very best stuff for you to watch on your screens. Uh, we do streaming, we do good old-fashioned terrestrial as well. And I think it's fair to say that this week, well, there's going to be some hearty disagreement. <laughs> there's going to be some agreement, I suspect. We praise some shows and we we don't like some others, do we? We do rip into some, and I think this week is going to be a slightly more ripping into week. We're talking about the after party, Dancing on Ice, Trigger Point, and also Julian Fellows' new period drama set in the US, this time The Gilded Age. Also, the great British menu is back on our screens. Now, this is where the country's top chefs compete for the chance to cook at a special, aren't they all, four-course banquet. <laughs> Only four courses at a banquet. Have you ever been to a banquet that wasn't special? (laughs) Uh, Richard Godwin is the journalist for the Radio Times and he's been speaking to the comedian Ed Gamble, who's one of the new judging panel. Here, Ed explains some advice he got from the show's host, Andy Oliver. And she said, Ed, don't eat everything. I have a four-bite rule. Um, you've got to eat four bites of everything, you know, one to just get an initial thing of the taste and then three more if you really like it, sort of get gripped with it a little bit more and then leave it because there's something else coming in half an hour. Um, but I ate every morsel of every plate. I couldn't help <laughs> it, especially when you're talking about starters and canapes and fish dishes. Like four bites yeah. is the whole thing for me. I can do it in two if I really try. Get you. Uh, comedian Ed Gamble talking about the advice he got from Andy Oliver on the Great British Menu. More of that later. Any showbiz um, incidents with you this week? Anything going on? Quite a few, actually. Oh, <laughs> well, go on. Drop those names. Um, Andrew Garfield. Um, you may have heard of him. Tick, tick. Boom. Uh, he's been, he won a Golden Globe. He's, I think they're hoping that it's going to be BAFTA Oscar nominated. So um, it was really lovely to speak to him. He's such a nice man. And we had a lovely chat. I had just interviewed Edgar Wright before that, who is one of my all time kind of directing heroes. He's like the reason why I got my job at Radio One in the first place was because Radio One came scouting for a, a new film critic without really telling anyone. And I was at Reading University, which is one of the places they looked. Why did they look at Reading University? I think it was to do with the fact that the producer's wife had been there and said it they do a great film course. That's how the media works. <laughs> and um yeah, so I was telling them about my favourite film, which was Shaun of the Dead. And because Radio One had only just voted that like, you know, one of their top films of that year, I think that caught their eye because all of my fellow film study students were talking about, you know, Metropolis. Or... <laughs> you were perhaps just a bit more honest. Yeah, it was really lovely, a real kind of career highlight to speak to him this week about Last Night in Soho. Oh, that's good. Yeah, this week I saw, you know, sometimes you go somewhere because a friend's going and you think, oh, well, I'll tag along because frankly, I haven't had a better offer tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that that's, was... that's just my social life generally. Well, yes, it's certainly mine. <laughs> um, I saw a documentary about the choreographer Alvin Ailey. Now, I had never, to my shame, I'd never heard of I've Alvin. I've not heard of him. Well, you should. He he was a, a great, great innovator in the world of dance in the States. So I recommend it to anyone. It was only a, it's about an hour and a half, but it takes you through his life. It was in some ways tragic, but he was also, as I say, he was an innovator. He did all sorts of things with dance oh, wow. in the States and didn't have the easiest time. So What was it called? And it's just called Ailey. Ailey. Yeah. And on what? Cinema? Well, I saw it at, at a cinema. I think it's, hmm. it's out on sort of general, general-ish release. It's probably in the arty cinemas, because I am. Arty. <laughs> Let's cut to the chase then. Get to this week's reviews. The After Party is on Apple TV Plus. It is released from January the 28th as good old fashioned weekly episodes. Here's a clip. I'm uh, Detective Danner, 
And this? Culp, uh, I'm Detective Culp. <laughs> uh, we will be collecting statements shortly, so get comfortable, folks. But not too comfortable, like wool pajamas. <laughs> yes, and no social medias, please. We don't want to turn this into a circus, even though it looks like Birdman Bailey's done came through this. Xavier's on TV. Dude, turn it up, turn it up. Pop star, actor, and celebrity humanitarian Xavier was found dead tonight. His body discovered on the cliff below his second home in Belvedere during an after party for his high school reunion. What has happened at that high school reunion after party? So there has been a murder and superstar Xavier is played by Dave Franco and he's yeah found at the bottom of a cliff after his high school party reunion has kind of turned nasty and all of his old school friends Can are I the just suspects. Say, if someone dies, then it has turned nasty. Yeah. It's yeah. not the way you want any party to end. Not necessarily. I mean, it did go the right way for one of them, clearly. Um, and it is, it's an incredible A-list comedy cast. You have Tiffany Haddish, who we just heard there, who you might know from things like Girls Trip, Night School, Like a Boss, um, Ilana Glazer from Broad City, Ben Schwartz, who, if you're a fan of Parks and Rec, he's so good. So yeah, each of these characters have to recount their movements to, to Tiffany Haddish, the detective. And the team behind the after party are Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who are kind of stalwarts in the US comedy scene. They also created Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is this excellent animation centred around Miles Morales. And they also wrote the Lego movies and also Jump Street, you know, all of those kind of movies. So they are kind of really hot as directors and writers. In these circles. In these circles. They're regarded as hot. I mean, murder mysteries are one of my favourite genres, I think. I remember talking about this with you last week and you are not such a fan of murder mysteries. I wonder whether it's not that I'm not actually a fan, it's that I'm puzzled by human psychology mm -hmm. and about why so many of us do love to watch these programmes. And for me, this this show, I, I guess there's a generational divide here. It was just so clever. It was too clever for its own good. Yeah. And there was so much going on and so many little sideswipes and all sorts of things. It's busy. It it's is very busy. busy. Yeah. There's a lot going on and there was too much going on for mm -hmm. me. And I, I basically, I was longing for a shot of the Northumberland countryside and Vera <laughs> driving her Land Rover <laughs> with Kenny. Oh my goodness. I think this genre is getting a bit of a makeover, like uh, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, for example. So it's all about basically the Rashomon effect. Yes. What is that, please? And Rashomon, well, it's a film that um, was made by Akira Kurosawa, who was um, an incredible director. Um, it was made in 1950, and in that, a murder is described in four different ways um, by four different witnesses. So it's kind of about memory, it's about perspectives, it's about how people see things differently. And so that's clearly at the heart of what this programme is. But they have taken it to a whole other level, because Ben Schwartz's episode, for example, when he's recounting, is a kind of musical episode. Yes, I mean, this is where the shark, this is where lost you. the shark has been well and truly <laughs> jumped for me. Just, just tell everybody a bit more about that. So as he's telling the detective about what was going on at this reunion, in his head, he was the centre star. He was basically Zac Efron. He was the one singing on stage with, um, you know, his two pregnant old friends dancing behind him, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's silly, it's funny. There's an animated episode later on, which... See, this is what I mean about with, Too with Clever. With those creators, you know, you kind of expect, but also they are really trying to break boundaries and genre bend and all no, the rest I mean, of it. It is unashamedly full throttle aimed at 
well, actually, who is it aimed at? It's <laughs> not me, and I take that, and that's fine. If you're a fan of this kind of comedy scene, if you're a fan of all of the programmes and films that I just mentioned, if you're a fan of Lord and Miller, you will completely be immersed in this and love how wildly eccentric it gets. I haven't got to the end yet because it is quite a long series and I'm worried that it might lose it a little bit. It feels like maybe shorter the better for this, but we'll see. Yeah, just a reminder that Rihanna gets to see things on showbiz preview sites. Um, The rest of humanity does have to watch this on Apple TV+. And it's released as weekly episodes, which slightly surprises me. Yeah, I was quite surprised. Maybe it's because it would be an overkill if you binged this all in one go. I think your brain might melt ever so slightly. Yes, I certainly needed a a milky Horlicks after I'd seen the... (laughs) episode I, I put myself through uh, but people will enjoy it it is the after party on apple tv plus starts dropping on january the 28th and then you get one a week for how long two months eight weeks wow that's a lot of entertainment <laughs> that is the after party on apple tv plus starts on january the 28th now strictly is over had a lovely ending didn't it uh, but if you're really missing it there is another dance show on terrestrial telly it is of course dancing on ice the third episode is this sunday the 30th of january at half past 6 on itv and if you missed the other two you can of course catch up on the itv hub Here's a clip from the first week introducing Strictly Dancer and real favourite Brendan Cole as a contestant and it caused a tiny ripple of controversy. My name is Brendan Cole and I'm best known for being a professional dancer. We've got high expectations from you, Brendan, (laughs) because you can dance Mm. and it is dancing on ice, so you have got kind of an advantage. Hi. Morning. When I saw Jane and Chris, I got nervous. Here we go. I really wanted to be good. And I skated over there looking like an idiot. You know what the TV won, don't you? (laughs) Masterclass was a disaster class. It was awful. It's a ground leveller putting skates on and trying to dance. You've got to learn to skate before you can then introduce what you know. I'm so excited to hear what you think about the Brendan Cole controversy. You mean the fact that he's obviously a trained dancer Mm. and now he's doing the whole, he's doing it on skates? Yeah. It's it's a tricky one. I have, haven't have really watched Dancing on Ice since my kids were really young. Mm-hmm. To be fair, it is family safe, yeah. Sunday evening fodder. And, and it's been going for 14 years. Which amazed me. I was surprised to see how little had changed, although <laughs> it has actually become more rumbustuous. And the, it's unlike Strictly in the sense that it's a bit of a bear pit in there, mm-hmm. which I thought was slightly weird. Anyway, What does rumbustuous mean? Well, you know, it's all people are shouting, the audience is standing mm-hmm. up, whereas on Strictly it's all a little bit more reverential right, and yes. dignified. And it's the BBC, <laughs> after all. Just remind us who's involved in this show, who's on it. So Philip's going Field and Holly Willoughby are back and they're presenting. I felt like there was something slightly clunky in their presenting on the first episode. Why? What do you mean? I, there were all these kind of gaps. One of them was facing the wrong way at one point. One had their back to the camera, one was facing it. If you can't get Ant and Deck on ITV, you get these two, don't you? You absolutely do. I mean... Without I, I, fail. Yes. Um, they're not everybody's cup of char. But they're clearly wildly successful and they're normally really slick. Yes, they are. I think it it did feel like there were maybe a few technical... I think you really notice pauses on live TV. Ashley Banjo is also there. Can I say he's always very good? He is. And just 
so pleasant. He, he does seem an incre- he's, he's an attractive man who holds himself brilliantly. Yep. He's articulate. He's positive. He does add value to every single thing I've ever seen him on. And also the fact that he still feels relevant. He's still kind of working. He's still dancing. He's still kind of making headlines with his dancing. Yeah. So and then you have Torval and Dean, who are of course bring all of their experience, you really trust in what they're saying. Yeah, you definitely do. I mean, Jane's not the most dynamic TV presence, is she? Let's be honest. No, she isn't. But she knows her skating stuff. She does. Yeah. And then you have Oti um, Mabuse, who has come over from Strictly. Um, she's replacing John Barrowman. She definitely brings a bit of that glamour, I think. Who are the contestants this year? There are some standouts. There are also some people I just didn't know. <laughs> Sorry. That's always going to happen. That of is course. always going to happen on a reality show. I mean, you know Bez. You know Bez and his maracas. I which certainly he, do. I mean, they, there is no subtlety, is there? Which, fair enough, it's not the kind of show for subtlety. <laughs> he comes down on a pair of maracas and finishes <laughs> yeah. his dance shaking these f***ing maracas. <laughs> and he's when he does skate, and I use the word skate... <laughs> Do you mean shuffle? In its most generous sense. <laughs> I think he's now got COVID, so he's going to have to sit out at least one show. I hope he's all right, by the way. When he does perform, he's accompanied by some dancing melon slices. Just a I mean, happy he, Monday's reference. He literally danced to his own tune. <laughs> so say, I mean, say what you will about Bez. What is he, 57? And doing, doing a really good job of entertaining the masses, I think. He's not there to skate, is he? He's there to make people laugh. He's, I mean, I do remember him as a sort of hedonistic pop king. Mm. So seeing him in this role as a as a family favourite TV entertainer. Yes, well, him and him and Sean Ryder yeah. are, are kind of regulars on Gogglebox, celebrity Gogglebox. And this Everyone morning, loves him. yeah, it's 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 a weird one, but anyway, good luck to them. And of course, um, the actress Sally um, Dinavore from uh, well, she's Sally Metcalf from the Street. Yeah, uh, she's in it. I thought she looked amazing. She did look amazing, and she's so light on her feet, and he the professional dancer picked her up and she's clearly light as a feather and brave as well. I thought that was fantastic. She really kind of threw herself in there and yes, she wasn't very confident but she did look beautiful. I think someone to keep an eye on, maybe a bit of an underdog. And then of course you have somebody like Kimberly Wyatt from the Pussycat Dolls who outshines everybody again because she is an incredible dancer. I mean, I barely remember her from Pussycat Dolls. I only know her from doing reality shows. Since she was in the Pussycat Dolls. Yes. It's a weird one. And of course, I guess the, the big one is is Brendan Cole. He was always one of my favourites on Strictly. He was, I, I loved don't him. think he was the favourite with a lot because he, he was quite defensive. And to be fair to the man, actually, he exhibited opinions yes. and he would take on the judges in especially a way that... Especially Craig. Especially Craig, in a way that the other pro dancers just didn't do, perhaps yeah, didn't dare to do. They were a bit afraid to, but also the whole thing is pantomime. You know, you don't know how much of that was real and how much wasn't. What? And I really like him a lot, but I do think that he's at such an advantage. I mean, the last Strictly dancer to go on the show was JJ and he won. I have to say, the point about Dancing on Ice, the difficulty for me is that most of us are never going to skate and attempt to dance. It's just going to be beyond our wildest imaginations. Strictly appeals to a bigger audience, I think, just because at some point in our lives we've all danced. Yes. Um, Or attempted to. Or attempted to. And there's just, this is where, I'm afraid it goes on too long. I mean, the the advertising is relentless. So it's 90 minutes and then, and that's only half the show and then the following show is not even the next night, it's the next week. So that momentum doesn't really stay. Yeah, because the contestants 
There are so many of them yes. that you see them in two chunks. Yeah. yeah, I agree. It's not it's not going to be my favourite no. TV dance show, I'm afraid. We don't like it much, but it's been going for 14 series. So somebody out there does and they certainly get the ads. So ITV aren't going to stop doing it anytime soon. Um, that's Dancing on Ice then continues Sunday nights on ITV at half past six in the evening. And you can catch up with all the episodes on the ITV hub. Now, coming up, we've got a review of the big new ITV police drama Trigger Point. First, we're going to talk food and, in particular, the Great British Menu. It starts on Tuesday the 1st of February, 8 o'clock BBC Two, and continues Wednesday the 2nd and Thursday the 3rd. Here's a clip. It features Andy Oliver, the host, and the veteran judge and previous winner, Akhtar Islam. So, Harvey's dish. The monkfish sounds beautiful, his mum's onion bhaji sounds fantastic. But then I counted around 10 elements. For me... That's five, maybe six, too many. Too many. Ben, he's uh, starting with a souffle. He's an absolute madman, this guy. <laughs> Again, yeah. You know, there's nowhere to hide. The souffle has to rise, it has to stay like that. And then the fish has to be cooked perfect. Moving on to Sally. Scolly, bolly, sweetie, darling. I love the sound of her sauce. So he's got Bollinger and you've got cream. And obviously Jeez. you've got that sweetness of that scallop. Anything you're worried about on there? Um, it's the overcooking of the scallop, really, because it's so easy to do. Yes, who hasn't overcooked a scallop? <laughs> I know I have. And lived to regret it. Um, that's the Great British Menu. Um, and this is, it was celebrating, or they were attempting through the dishes to celebrate 100 years of the BBC. Yes. Strange. It didn't quite work for me. I mean, <laughs> I do think, I think maybe that theme could have been slightly stronger or they could have leaned into that a little bit more. I kind of love the theme of, of British TV. They kind of were wearing outfits. They were wearing hats for Peaky Blinders and um, they had boxes and the, the way they presented their food in certain ways for things like Dad's Army and Ab Fab. That was all quite fun. I, that was something that I could actually relate to. I felt it was a bit one of the few things in this yeah, I could so relate so, so, to. It was all a bit forced for me and I, I didn't feel it was terrible well explained mm. um, and I know you've got a you've got a downer on Dad's Army which I want to say that whenever I see or catch an episode or even five minutes of Dad's Army it always makes me laugh I'm, I do not have a downer on Dad's Army generally at mm. all it did make me laugh even just those clips that they played it really made me cackle you have four different people doing four different dishes and two of those were based on Dad's Army all right, out of a hundred okay. years of TV yeah alright I mean I did think that was a little bit could they not have been like actually someone's doing Dad's Army can you do something else yes okay <laughs> why didn't they say that um, we should say this is quite a rarefied world of food this isn't it mm. and obviously these people are they're not amateurs in any way no. they are chefs I want to learn more about how to cook reasonable food that do you I might... not want to make nitrogen cheese pearls well no I mean I've written down here cheese bonbon with shallot <laughs> and so, I mean I'd probably enjoy eating it but <laughs> there's no uh, at one point somebody was told your mandarin overtook the oyster mm-hmm. and somebody made a veal sweet bread which I, I don't know I oh, puffed up dehydrated pork skin this is just another planet <laughs> if you're a fan of like you know what Heston Blumenthal does for example then yeah you might be into this really fine dining tiny little dish kind of menu it's not really for me but be, but also 
I would have loved to see them explain what they were doing then for the layman. I mean, on Bake Off, they tell you that they are folding eggs into flour, you know, (laughs) and that's just the very basics of baking. In this, I want to know what are these nitrogen pearls? What does that mean? What does it taste like when you bite into it? There is not enough kind of description of what is going on for the the majority of us who don't eat in these sorts of restaurants, either because we can't afford to or because we'd rather actually leave a place full. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, (laughs) having been well satisfied and not necessarily by a cheese bonbon with shallot. (laughs) You mentioned Ed Gamble and he is one of the judging panel. Um, We should say he's a comedian, but he also, why is he a judge on this? He does a podcast called Off Menu with James Acaster, which is hugely, hugely popular and they are very funny. They have a lot of celebrity guests that come on and they they talk about their kind of favourite dishes, basically. So that's the reason he's there and he knows that. Thank you. Um, The Radio Times journalist Richard Godwin has been speaking to Ed and asked him what the schedule was like on the show and is it an end? This is a controversial issue. Is it an end to souffles? (gasps) No. Well, the novelty never wore off for me, Richard. There was sort of a running joke that uh, I was the one finishing all the food because I was told expressly at the top to not eat all of everything because I would not (laughs) be able to last until the end of the day. So Andy did tell me, because she was a judge on it, uh, for a few years and she said Ed don't eat everything I have a four bite rule um, you've got to eat four bites of everything you know one to just to get an initial thing of the taste and then three more if you really like it to sort of get script with it a little bit more and then leave it because there's something else coming in half an hour um, but I ate every morsel of every plate I couldn't help <laughs> especially when you're talking about starters and canapes and fish dishes like four bites yeah. is the whole thing for me I can do it in two if I really try when it came to finals week, it was a bit brutal because when it was the regionals, I think we call them the heats, we uh, would just do Fridays for eight weeks. It was Fridays of each individual heat. Uh, so by the time we got there, it was down to two two chefs. So four chefs start the week uh, and then it's down to two chefs by the time they reach the judges' chamber uh, going up against each other. Uh, and we taste their full menu. So it was eight dishes and a, and a pre-dessert and a canapé. Two full dinners, basically, Richard, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So by the end of that Friday, you're pretty full, especially if you're eating everything, as I did. Um, And then when it comes to finals, when it's eight uh, eight, uh, chefs left, um, there was a day of starters, eight starters. The day after is eight fish dishes. The day after is eight mains. The day after is eight desserts. So by the time you get to the desserts day, you're pretty full. Brutal. Did you get some fine wines to knock it back with? No, occasionally, uh, okay, well, first the first thing I'd say is we start eating at about 9.30 in the morning. So if they started trying to serve it with wine, I think that would be a bit of a write-off. Occasionally, the chef will pair their dish with a wine, a champagne, a cocktail or something like that, which to me smacks of bribery, but I, I gladly accepted it every single time. Has it changed your own cooking? Have you, you know... Have you picked up tips, techniques? Absolutely. I mean, it's changed my own cooking to the extent that now I think, why do I even bother? I'm, ne- I'm never going to get it to that level. What is the point? Um, no, it hasn't, it hasn't changed my own cooking, I, I don't think, because we don't get to see it happen and uh, we just get to taste this magic that they put on the plate. And quite often we'd ask Tom questions about, you know, how, how they made these things or the processes that have gone into it. And it's just incredible the amount of work and effort that goes into in sometimes these relatively tiny dishes that pack such, such a massive punch. So if anything, it's just left me more more in awe of top-level chefs. The, the thing that's amazing to me is just how, you know, all these kind of molecular techniques, this huge worldwide array of 
kind of, you know, Japanese custards and things that, you know, chefs are kind of able to do. Well, I mean, you've hit uh, Japanese custards uh, or chow and mushies seem to be the big trend. I've never eaten Uh chow and mushy before. And there we were. We were eating about five chow and mushies a day. So you've become, I mean, whether by accident or design, a foodie as much as a comedian, really. I mean, I love food. And I I, I think with the British entertainment industry, specifically in comedy, it's really good to have another interest. And because wow. commissioners and TV people, they love a comedian who is interested in something else. So, you know, and I do love food and definitely the podcast uh, off menu that I do with James Acaster has really let people know that. Uh, so I do get asked to do a lot of foodie based things, but it's exciting. Who, I mean, who wouldn't want to do that really? What is the best dish that you can cook? I love barbecuing. So I've got like a, a ceramic uh, kettle barbecue um, and I, if the weather's good or I've got a day, my, my dream day really is, is putting a bit of meat on at like eight in the morning and smoking it until six in the evening. So I did, uh, in the past I've done like a whole beef feather blade. So you put a rub on it and stick it on the barbecue at like, try and get the barbecue to about one twenty, and then just smoke it indirectly for like 10 hours and then pull it off the barbecue wow. and rest it. And it's just magic. Slow cooking is is something I absolutely love. Mm. So you don't strike me as someone who's going to be doing veganuary anytime soon. No, but I, I was vegan for nine months. Weirdly, a couple of years ago, I just thought I'd give it a go to see <laughs> to uh-huh. see if it agreed with me. It, what it's done is I am no, I am not I am not vegan anymore. But definitely, what it's done is it's shown me the art of balance and uh, and moderation. And I will eat a lot more vegan dishes and i will often go for a vegan dish at a restaurant or i'll you know I'll, i cook a lot more tofu so you you've obviously been on quite a a food journey in your life you've lost a lot of weight and mm-hmm. you know type one diabetic mm-hmm. how has your kind of approach to eating changed yeah i mean certainly with with both things losing the weight and being a type one diabetic i am probably slightly more conscious of what i'm putting into my body than other people might be um so Obviously, because of the diabetes, what, whatever I'm eating, I have to think about what impact that's going to have on my blood sugar and the fact I'm going to have to inject insulin for it and is later down the line it going to cause my blood sugar to go up or down or what have you. So I think I'm a lot more conscious. I think that, that's what I'd say. I, 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 wouldn't call, I wouldn't say I'm restrictive. Uh, I, try and, I try and get the message out there that just because I'm type 1 diabetic, I can still eat whatever I want, really. I just have to be a bit more measured about it. That has definitely played into the weight loss as well. So it's just meant I've sort of uh, reassessed my lifestyle uh, from when I just used to eat everything. And I was type 1 diabetic then as well, by the way. I just wasn't focusing on keeping it in control. Was there a moment that you were, you know, when you were larger and you just said, all right, isn't enough's enough? Or was it a sort of gradual thing? No, there was, defi- there was definitely a moment. But I mean, it's certainly... It wasn't, there was no like misery attached to my size before. It was literally just, I, I got booked for a TV gig and I was like, oh, I might see if I can lose a little bit of weight before that. I've got a couple of months uh, and I was probably at my biggest. And I thought, well, it'd be nice to, you know, go on to the show feeling like I, you know, feeling fresh and feeling like I'd done something uh, to my appearance. And then once I actually, it's the first time in my life I actually followed the basic rules of doing a bit of exercise and eating a bit more consciously. 
and it just worked straight away. So I was like, oh, I may as well just keep doing this because I, f- I felt better. So now I try and keep on top of my diet and exercise because I enjoy it and it makes me, it makes me feel good. I, I don't do all this crash dieting thing. In January, I'm not suddenly going like, oh God, I need to eat salads for the whole of January. I just, I try and eat nutritionally and exercise because it does, it does make me feel really nice. That's the comedian Ed Gamble talking to the Radio Times journalist Richard Godwin. Ed is on the judging panel of The Great British Menu, which is on BBC Two and it starts on Tuesday the 1st of February at 8 o'clock and continues on Wednesday the 2nd and Thursday the 3rd. So don't be caught out there if you're a fan. Um, It runs across Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of the first week of February. Now, um, we love to hear from you about any shows you've enjoyed or not, podcast at radiotimes.com. And uh, what have we got this week, Rihanna? Take me through it. So we've got a nice comment from Andriana who says, on your Ricky Gervais interview, lovely interview, honest as usual. Ricky doesn't hold back, does he? He doesn't. Neither do you. No, this is true. Someone has uh, messaged us on Twitter to say, toast of, insert location, don't, can do no wrong, utter brilliance. Tourist is tedious, had to resort to doing the ironing while my wife watched. Not the ironing, not doing domestic chores Um, while you watch the TV. Wow, incredible. Well done. Not as bad as The Lost Daughter. Two and a half hours of my life, I'm not getting back dreadful. I love The Lost Daughter. I liked it too. I thought it was great and so weird. I thought I really enjoyed how it didn't just sort of toe any line really. No, no, it went everywhere it and left you puzzled. Kind which, of reeling. Which isn't a bad thing. No. Um, also one from Anne who emailed us to say, hi Bo, thank you for a witty and informative podcast. I've listened to them all and look forward to it every week. I recently stayed with a tourist because of Jane's recommendation and loved the Australian series Bump, thanks to you both. Oh, good. That's from Anne. Yeah, I think Bump's still on the iPlayer, it isn't is, it? It is, yes. Catch it while you can. It's yeah, great. If you want a burst of Australian sunshine as well, <laughs> um, Bump, highly recommended. You get a bit of sunshine in The Tourist, but um, it's funny because The Tourist is a show that really has divided it people. It really is. I thought it was pretty kind of throwaway and fun. but no, well, people are people talking about it. They're quite it. exercised about it, some people. Love it. Um, the Radio Times is out today, Wednesday. Jamie Oliver is your cover star. And also in the mag, Andy Oliver, uh, who we've already discussed from The Great British Men. You. I felt that she's actually slightly underused in that show. She's so fun and I think they need to remember that. <laughs> yeah, I think it must be a food special, the Radio Times, because also involved this week, Tom Kerridge and Raymond Blanc. Um, I can't say that well, but I enjoy attempting to say it. <laughs> I enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Um, Jamie then is your cover star for the Radio Times this week. Make sure you get a copy. And if you'd like to get involved, you can email us podcast at radiotimes.com. And particularly, actually, if you disagree with something we've said or you want to take issue with a recommendation that, frankly, you tried. And Stop trying to have a fight with our audience, Jane. I want to have, I want to have a fight with somebody. <laughs> I won't, though, disagree with many people if they tell me they like The Gilded Age because this is a, a new series for Sky Atlantic from Julian Fellows. Yes. Now, people will know the name. Creator of Downton Abbey. You might have seen his Belgravia recently as well. And you can catch this on Sky Atlantic every Tuesday at nine o'clock. The first episode was yesterday, Tuesday. And I have to admit that I am not a huge Downton Abbey fan. And 
didn't overly enjoy Belgravia. I didn't have really high expectations for this. This is all set in the US and it's about the it's about in the 1800s when there was this clash of old American money and new American money. I thought it was absolutely fabulous. It is so gripping and engaging and I just think the calibre of the talent that they've got, Christine Baranski and um, Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City play two sisters at the heart of this. Their niece Marion comes to town. She's played by Louisa Jacobson, who is Meryl Streep's daughter. Is she? She is. I did not know she that. She isn't, um, she kind of, she hasn't been in a huge amount of stuff. She, she, you wouldn't necessarily know, though, of course, as soon as you do know. Well, you've told me now. No, but you, you look at her and you think, of course she is. And she, she is excellent. She brings a lot of kind of humour and grace and elegance to this role and it's it's a relief to see her having this kind of protagonist having a bit more about her, I think, than perhaps some, often some heroines in these sorts of dramas can be a little bit wet. Oh, she's not wet? She's not wet. No. She's definitely not. You kind of think she's almost being set up to be and she isn't, which is great. There are a couple of rather wet female characters in the first episode, I thought, but maybe I've just... Uh, who is the woman who lives across the road? The young... Perhaps she's just got a hidden secret. The, the young girl? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gladys. Gladys, that's yes. right. She's played by Tysa Farmiga. Carrie Coon plays the woman who is the, the kind of... The new money who's come onto the street. They've just had this enormous house Monstrosity built. in yes, the house. everyone yeah. is talking about it and not in a good way and they are society is fully shunning her and her husband and her family um and she will just not take anything from anybody and she is so fearless really she's excellent she's you might have seen her in things like the leftovers which again brilliant she's plays quite cold characters and well, she's quite driven isn't she she's very ambitious yeah there is a slightly brittle quality to her but also she's also Courageous, yes. And I mean, I, I don't. I, I'm always a bit wary when ambitious is used, apparently, as a criticism. Mm. Always of women, rarely of men. But she's ambitious for her family to be accepted yeah, in society. And what this show does, I think, brilliantly, is completely blows apart the notion that the class system is a British thing. Yes. And it doesn't happen in the states. Rubbish. It absolutely is a thing, was a thing. And we're not just talking about kind of the upstairs downstairs. No. Because of course there's that divide. Yeah. This is with this is within money. It's yes. about where your money came from. And and he, how recently. Yes, he's a railway tycoon. Um, this new moneyed guy, the the Russell family, that's where their money comes from. And suddenly everyone realizes that they will have to kind of move with the times or be left behind. And I love the fact that it's not that long ago. So it's set in the eighteen eighties, so it's what, hundred and forty years ago? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And railways are the big controversy. Yes. They're the big thing. <laughs> They're very new and challenging. And, oh gosh, we have come a long way in a very short space of time, haven't we, really? We really, really have. And also, there's a there's a young woman who is African-American. Her name's Peggy Scott. She's She wants to be a writer. Um, she ends up working as a secretary for Christine Baranski's character, Agnes. And... I really loved you kind of go back and see her home life. Yeah. So then so again you have you have a slight class divide but you also have a race divide but it's not done in a way that you've necessarily seen before. Um I think it's done in a really interesting way she gets more political as the series goes on. I'm really looking forward to watching more of this. Yes. And like you I didn't have particularly high hopes no. because there was a real let's be honest there's a cardboard cutout quality to some of the characters in Downton Abbey and some of the script was 
dreadful. I've, I've just, I've said it. <laughs> um, it, it really was. Whereas this, I was hugely invested and I, I really care about these people. This, so, is a, this is an HBO production. Right. And so it has HBO money. And I think that makes a huge difference, genuinely, to the casting and to the sets and to the costumes. And I, I do love a good period drama. Oh, I no. just love looking at the, the corseted women. I can't well, help I love it. I'm the sorry. Bit, what the which, bustles. Which woman in it says, I've just got to get my corset yes, off? Carrie Coon's character. Yeah, that's her okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. Whip yeah. it off. Just an acknowledgement that women were p- permanently uncomfortable crossed up yeah. well they were yeah. can you imagine anything worse no i truly can't so lose yourself in this it's pure expensive luxurious escapism <laughs> for the rather dull months that we have ahead of us agreed it's the gilded age on sky atlantic uh, first episode was on last night and there's one every week for another nine weeks so you've got 10 lovely episodes of the gilded age to look forward to on the other hand there's the new, big, much-publicised ITV show, Trigger Point. Started on Sunday, the 23rd of January at 9 o'clock and continues for six weeks. Uh, you'll have read all about it. You'll have seen Endless Trails. It stars Vicky McClure and Adrian Lester. Here we go. <laughs> they've requested two expos on this job. Must be big. Either that or they've got their doubts about you. Where are we going? Up there. Not kids. You know, D.I. Dayside, Mayor so 15. She's in command of the op. Inspector Robbins, this is Lana Washington. I don't think you two... We're acting on intel. There's a dangerous individual preparing a bomb factory in these flats. The flat is leased to Andy Feeling, located on the fourth floor in the south building. We need to move. Stay behind us. Right. What a charmer. Get up. Just need my balls and the disruptor. Well, whatever that means, it's extremely painful, I would imagine. That was a clip from Trigger Point. Uh, Adrian Lester, Vicky McClure are the big stars. And this is executively produced. By the way, what does that mean? Money. OK, by Jed Mercurio, who did Line of Duty alongside Vicky McClure. Of course. He didn't write this, and I think you can you can tell because it isn't good writing. And Line of Duty is very well written. So just to give you a brief overview, it is... Vicky McClure and Adrian Lester are a bomb disposal team who get called to an estate where a threat has been called in and they find a mother and child tied up and a handmade device strapped to a loo. And then you're sort of waiting for some, for kind of one big thing to happen because there is so much hanging about in this show. You're right, there's an enormous amount of standing around and the people standing around are people we don't know and therefore don't really care about yet. No. Uh, And I'm afraid that's the problem I had with this. But, but they make quite basic mistakes from the very beginning. I mean, they walk into this flat um, after it's all been cleared and they realise there is some sort of device in there. Everyone else clears out, so it's just these two left. And he's like, oh, I can't really see anything. So instead of getting a torch out, like you'd imagine anybody would, they, they go for the electrics in this place which has been called in for a bomb threat. They put the light switch on. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd move, but then I'm not in uh, the police and I don't work as a bomb uh, disposal expert, nor would I ever have the courage to do any such thing, I should say. There is also, because obviously there are ad breaks, so they, they almost have to have like sort of mini cliffhangers between each one with a, with a thriller like this uh, to keep you watching through the, through the ads. And at the end of every single segment, someone swears, someone says the S word. It was like, OK, so is this a running joke? And also it's not a big enough hook and that's not really funny. It doesn't really work like you need something else to keep us watching i'm afraid i'm with you here it's quite thin gruel this um and i know you have a view on itv drama and you sometimes think it can be but six out of ten 
I just think when you have a star like Vicky McClure, who can usually make everything palatable because she is so natural, and you make even her screen presence dull, that's nothing to do with her. That's to do with the show and that's to do with the direction and the writing. It was really frustrating when you have these big stars at the helm and they're not doing anything with them. And uh, it's, yes, I think frustrating is the word and also dull and... I don't know why anyone would want to keep watching this program because it's so it feels so inevitable. You're right about that. Is there there is well it's hinted at that there's a special closeness between Vicky's character of Lana and Adrian Lester's character Joel. Mm. They've worked together before, they know each other inside out. Did you not Yes, I wasn't I didn't really Even care. That, you didn't I didn't really care. That. They were no, had matching okay. tattoos of some cartoon character, I think. I didn't care. Harsh. But I think in this case, fair. Uh, that was Rihanna Dillon's assessment of Trigger Point, which is available if you missed the first episode. You can catch up with it on ITV Hub. Although after that, I'm not sure how many people are going to rush to the Hub but to do actually, it. Actually, if you do end up watching it and you do stick with it, please let me know what you think. Because maybe I am being too cruel and maybe I should give it a go. So if enough people recommend it, maybe I'll keep going. Perhaps the first episode is is just necessarily a little dull while things are established and it really will take off. We don't know, do we? Trigger Point is on ITV Hub and continues for six weeks if you want to watch it the old-fashioned way, nine o'clock on Sunday nights. So guess what it's time for? Is it the quiz of the week? Yes, it is. It's time for what we watched. It's the quiz to end. It's the quiz of the week, live quizzes. from Shoreditch. <laughs> well, it's not technically Shoreditch and it's not live, but other than that, it's fine. That's... It's great. It's better than the Anton Deck one anyway that we reviewed last week. <sighs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> can we have a fanfare, please? Right, take me back in time. Okay, so it is my turn to ask you. This is a mystery year. You've got a guess from my clues. And the first clue, I know you're a big Olympics fan. Mm. So this is about the Winter Olympics, which were held in Calgary in Alberta, Canada, where Eddie the Eagle became the first competitor since 1928 to represent Great Britain in Olympic ski jumping, finishing where? Well, he must have come last. He did. In the Normal Hill and Large Hill events. I mean, this just sounds made up. Normal (laughs) Hill. Normal Hill. (laughs) Here's a clip of TV journalist Jim McKay introducing the Olympic Games on NBC. They have come to Calgary in the province of Alberta for the 15th Olympic Winter Games. 57 nations, some 1,700 athletes. They'll compete in the mountains, on the ski jumps and bob runs, and in the great arenas downtown for gold and glory. They've come together in Calgary, and today the words will be spoken. Let the games begin. Yeah, they're fanfare there. Perhaps a little pricier than the Radio Times podcast one, <laughs> I'm guessing. That's re- The Americans, they, they could teach dancing on ice a thing or two yes, about going could. over the top. Wow, I could really envision this man as well. So, Eddie the Eagle, there's been a feature film made about him, hasn't there? Yeah, Taron Egerton That's and Hugh right. Jackman. Yeah. Uh, was it any good, that film? No. No, OK. Um, I've, I think I might know the year. Give, give me another clue. So, February of this year saw the debut of the stunt-based ITV game show, You Bet, presented... <laughs> Now, this does not ring any bells. <laughs> Presented by Bruce, Brucey Bruce, Forsyth. Oh. And here he is introducing the show. Thank you, thank you. Oh, 
you, you have cheered me up. You really have, you know. No, you, you cheered me up because I was in the dressing room just before the show and uh, I preened myself, you know, just preening myself. I love a preen. And... Uh, <laughs> Especially if there's a long mirror to preen in, you know. <laughs> I was preening away, and this woman rushed into my room, and she said, oh, Mr Forsyth, she said, my little boy did such a perfect impression of you this morning. It was wonderful. I said, well, that's lovely. I said, I'm, I'm so thrilled. I said, I said, what did you say to him? She said, I told him to stop acting like an idiot. <laughs> Imagine how I felt, you know, all that preening for nothing. What a punchline. Well, it's a good one. Um, I was waiting for it. Com comedy has has changed. Thank goodness. Yeah, go on. Uh, did, that, did that help? Did you ever see... I still think I know the year. You bet. You do, you think. Uh, okay. So the yes. final clue um, is the Nelson Mandela 70th birthday tribute concert was held in this year at Wembley Stadium and broadcast to 67 countries. It had an audience of 600 million. In the UK, it was broadcast on BBC Two. And here's some footage. This is going to be lovely and uplifting. To start our celebration, the first of the great artists who are going to make this such a unique day. He is the singer whose talent and commitment have already made him a household name across the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to one of the greatest artists in the world. Oh my God, who's it going to be? Sting! <laughs> <laughs> we both laughed because we weren't expecting Sting. We were waiting with bated breath to hear who it would be. All my life I've waited for Sting to own up to really being Gordon and just stick with Gordon, really. But anyway, um, I, still, I really wasn't expecting Sting. No. Um, can I guess now? Because I do Please, think it's yeah. 1988. Of course it is. Thank you. Well done. Wow. Very impressive. As soon as the Olympics are there, you know it. Yeah, I am big on the Olympics. And in fact, we're going to be talking about the Winter Olympics. Yes, on you this are. Podcast. No, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to drag you in and get you interested. I, I guarantee. I tell you what, if you do a screening at your house with a, I bet you've got like a massive TV. Get some snacks in. I'll be there. I'll make some cheese bonbons with shallot that I've got off the Great British Menu, and we can yes, we can get together and watch the Olympics on actually my tragically small telly, which everyone laughs at. So let us know if you were watching the, if you were watching that grand sting entrance. If you remember where you were the first time that you heard about Eddie the Eagle, let us know. So you can find us at Radio Times on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email us podcast at radiotimes.com. I was um, always very angry that I worked at the neighbouring local radio station. He was from Gloucestershire, Eddie the Eagle, and that meant that Radio Gloucestershire got to cover him. And we didn't because we were just on the border. He wasn't ours. It's a real shame. If you've ever worked in local radio, you know how much that would <laughs> anger you. If a massive celebrity emerges from the county next door, it's <laughs> such a pain in the neck. If you'd like a breakdown of the listings of the programmes we've talked about, uh, make sure you look at the episode notes wherever you get your podcasts. Do follow and join us every week. The Radio Times podcast is produced by... Something else. You're never quite... I'm not on it. No. Sorry. For... Immediate media. Yeah, that's it. Have a very good week. Take care. <laughs>